0: Retirement Tips Radio is brought to you by Business Radio X, the voice of business in your community. Currently serving over 25 markets, the Business Radio X network is growing fast. We're teaming up with retired execs and established entrepreneurs to support and celebrate local business leaders. If you'd like to make additional income while making a difference, discover more at BRX Team com. Now, here's your host.
1: We can here hear another episode of Retirement Tips Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today, we have with us Todd Treseder, the financial mentor. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me on the show. A financial mentor. Everybody needs one of those.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the idea, right? <laughs>
1: Well, tell us about uh, what you do, how you serve folks. So
2: I came from the hedge fund industry back before it was even called hedge fund. So I was one of the early pioneers of quantitative investment strategy. So really pinning computers into the financial markets and developing algorithmic uh, investment strategies. So that's my roots. That's where I built my wealth. I sold the company to a bigger fish back in 1997. And I just found that I really had a passion for personal finance, wealth development. I was still reading books on the subject and really into it. And uh, so I had this crazy idea back then. You got to remember this back in 1997, right? So uh, the internet was still in its infancy and uh, the dot-com bubble hadn't even happened yet. And I had this crazy idea that you could separate financial education from investment product sales, I wanted to have a pure education site, and I didn't want the site to talk about, you know, seven tips to save money or, you know, any of the usual drivel you get everywhere else. I want it to be kind of advanced topics and just taking it to the next level. And so that's what I've tried to create.
1: So who in your mind was that audience for that content? Um, people
2: seeking wealth, people seeking retirement, early retirement, Uh, people who had a high value on financial independence at any age, right? So it could be retirement, which is really just a euphemism for old age financial independence, right? Um, Or it could be anybody else is just really focused on financial independence. That was always my thing is, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon and I had to work for money. I had to work my way through college and I don't want to give some like, oh, poor kid, you know, I had a solid middle-class upbringing and my parents are great parents It's not like I was a poor kid or anything, but I just, I had to work through all this stuff. And a lot of my friends didn't, I missed out on a lot of opportunities, you know, and I just realized that I was living my life from the right side of the menu of life where everything, you know, was, it was a price and I had to pay attention to every nickel and all that. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. And it it mattered to me. I just figured as long as I was going to lead an economic life, I may as well design it for financial independence. And I did, and it worked. It's just, it's not that hard when you know how to do it and there's no point in not doing it. You now, so that's that kind where I came from.
1: Do you think that it's this is just a lack of education on the folks who don't know about that other side of the menu? Or is it something that uh, they have a scarcity mindset that doesn't even allow them to think in those terms? I think it's
2: two things. I think you're right with the education comment, but I also think it's awareness. A lot of these decisions, like you don't work any harder to become financially independent. You just do things differently. Um, and it's so, you know, like, for example, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm not about Mercedes-Benz and flashy cars and McMansions and, you know, private jets. None of that's part of my domain at all. I'm about experiences, not stuff. And experiences don't cost money. It doesn't cost a lot of money to have time to read a book. It doesn't cost a lot of money to have a comfortable chair or a comfortable bed. Um you know a quality life is not necessarily expensive but there's an awareness issue about how you arrange your life what are your values how do you prioritize your activities how do you make decisions that reflect your values and how does the compound effect in every aspect of your life accumulate right so like you know a lot of people intuitively get compound returns where you put money away in a bank account and it compounds and it grows a lot of people get that idea they don't get that the same thing applies to your life to your career where you know your life is a cumulative effect of the all the compa- all the small decisions you make every day that compound into large results um anybody can be successful in 10 years i mean it, you know again it's not instinct riches but in the context of a lifetime it's not that hard and it doesn't take that long
1: well in order to um hit that target say that 10-year target a person has to be kind of clear, have a lot of clarity around what is that end goal? How do you help them kind of look at the, you know, end objective? I don't think it can be, I just want to not work anymore and have this income flow. It has to be deeper than that, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah. 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 A a negative goal of I don't want to work anymore or I want to stick it to the man. Isn't very effective. There has to be a positive goal. A goal that you're moving toward uh, is usually the driver that actually works um but to answer your question it's really two things it's frameworks and habits is that's why i say it's not that hard but it's an awareness issue or an education issue you have to get the frameworks right so that when you're making decisions and you're taking actions they're compounding and accumulating within a framework that's valid a lot of people are operating under frameworks that are only half true or possibly even false and so it's, you know, it's that classic line, if you're going to climb the ladder to success, you got to make sure it's leaning against the right wall. And so when I'm working, back when I did coaching, I don't coach individual clients anymore. I, I have courses and books. Um, and so, but back in the days when I coached clients, which was for two decades, um, I would work with the client around early values. Clarification was the early stage, getting clear on their goals, the reasons why, how it fit into their life, what resources and skills they were bringing to the equation. And then from there, we could formulate the plans and get into action. Um, But it always starts from inside the client because each person's, while we're all very similar, each person's different in their own unique way. And it's, you know, it's got to fit their life in order for it to result in a fulfilling life.
1: Do you find that a lot of people when they're approaching retirement or thinking about retirement, they're thinking about maybe... um, it through a negative lens, a lens of there's so much uncertainty. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to be healthy. I don't know how much money I'm going to need. I'm, I have a fear of running out of money there. It's just bombarded with a lot of negativity. And there's an opportunity, I think, to kind of reposition the thinking to think in more of uh, an abundance mentality.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely valid for a percentage of the population. I think you've got, what, cohorts, I guess would be the term, or different different percentages of the population break out into different things. I think the largest percentage are just unaware. Like they just don't even have any awareness around retirement planning. They don't have any awareness around compound effects of their time, their resources, their money, um, their skills, you know, their actions. They don't have any concept around that. And so they're just sort of going through life doing what's in front of them. You know, Stephen Covey had that framework of, you know, do we do what's important or do we do what's urgent? And most people are living from the urgent side. They're just trying to pay their bills. They're just trying to get through the day. They're just trying to put all the fires out. And so there's no real awareness of how to move life forward. I think that's the largest percentage. And then you've got the percentage you talked about. And then there's a percentage that are very proactive, but it's hard to get good information. Uh, There's people that are really trying to move forward and they're determined and they're taking taking it into their own hands and they're taking responsibility, but there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of half truths and assembling it into a framework that you can operate within is sometimes difficult when you've got a full-time job and you've got kids and, you know, somewhere in there you're supposed to have a little bit of fun.
1: Now, how do you recommend a person approach, uh, kind of their financial education? It can't be uh, trusting their friend who just, you know, had a tip that, uh, crypto is where the money's at. You know, there has to be some vetting and there has to be some trusted resources uh, in order to choose wisely this framework that you talk about.
2: Yeah. Well, that's another common mistake, right? Is people will learn from their parents. They learn from their friends uh, or they go for corporate media, you know, corporate media, all those, everything published by corporate media is vetted by attorneys, Right. Because it's all it's all done under specific rules and guidance and it's all done from from a viewpoint of corporate safety. It's not about actually informing the client. And then they all have mixed agendas, too. That's another thing I teach on the site is you got to look at the agenda of the person dispensing the advice. As I said earlier in this interview, my whole motivation was to build an education website that was separated from selling investment products You know, a lot of the advice you get is in order to sell the investment product or the service. And so that was why, again, I built the site as a pure education site. Um, So yeah, you've got to look at your source. You've got to look at what shoes they stand in and by what shoes they stand in, that's both their experience and it's not the experience they just claim, but the results of their life. I mean, have they produced the results you want? Are they living the life that you want? You know, have they gone where you're seeking to go? if not why would you want to learn from them and then you've got and then you've got uh, the other aspect of what are their conflicts of interest what are their motivations you know so if they really want to sell you a mutual fund or if they really want to sell you a banking relationship or they they're trying to upsell you to a real estate deal on the back end of their course on how to do real estate because they also do real estate uh, uh, syndication deals you know watch out there's a lot of different motivations and there's a lot of uh, very savvy marketers
1: so now, um, how does a, a lay person kind of know all of that information? I, I mean, you're, you're asking a lot and I'm a big believer in personal accountability. So I'm with you in a lot of those places, but not everybody, um, kind of has the resources to vet people and to really kind of go layers deep to see, you know, to follow the money trail, like you said.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, there's really two primary issues here, right? There's it's their experience, and not just what their experience of what they claim, but the experience of the life they actually lead, right? And what results they produced with their life. So you've got that issue. That's that's pretty straightforward. A layperson can figure that out. And then you've got conflicts of interest. So you just look at their business model. What else are they selling? You can see it right on their websites, right? It's always going to be fairly apparent. Um, and the second, there's a gotcha where they pull out something behind, then you should immediately know and you should clear out, right? So let's say it's not apparent. Let's say that they've uh, hidden an upsell process. So for example, in my business, I have courses, right? But there's no upsell in them, right? When you buy the course, you get the whole enchilada. Now, there's a lot of people that are not as reputable in this, you know, wealth building education business where they have a funnel series. So what they do is they sell you an intro course. And maybe it's a free weekend intro course, like everybody gets those free, you know, come to our free dinner, our free weekend seminar, right, those invitations. And then that's usually the upsell to the next thing. And in the in the seminar business, it would be the $500 weekend seminar. And then the $500 weekend seminar sells you up to the $3000 weekend seminar, it sells you up to the $10,000 private mastermind coaching thing. And as soon as you start getting that back end process clear out, right? Cuz they weren't being up front with you. They were representing one thing and then they're trying to sell you another on the back end and it, there's a very specific marketing strategy involved in that. And that's not honest. So you just clear out. You want to deal with honest people. So I think it's fairly straightforward, but maybe I'm just disillusioned here. Maybe I'm delusional not disillusioned, delu- delusional in that there's only a few ways in which they really get you. Um, and I think they're all pretty straightforward. I just listed all three of them. Uh, what do you think, Lee? Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Well, I think those are, are definitely uh, ways that people can mislead you. But I think other ways they can mislead you are... Um by making it seem like they have made a lot of money or they were successful when maybe they were successful because of luck or because of, you know, being related to the right person.
2: Well, I think that's another good point too, is looking successful is very different from being successful, right? So, you know, you've got a scammer when they're showing you Mercedes Benzes and mansions and Learjets and, 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 beautiful women clamoring over them as they, you know, in their, in their leisure suits or whatever, like that's just scammy. Right. So clear out of that. That's not, that's not how it really works. And then um, you made another point there, but I lost it. But the first one I'm agreeing with you on, if there's a big difference between looking successful and actually having success.
1: Well, and it's uh, the other point was that they might've just grown up in the right family. Like, you know, they could have started, They might have thought they hit a triple, but were born on third base.
2: They're probably not going to be in the education business then, right? So in other words, if if you're doing that, you're going to be in some other industry. You're not going to be educating people, you know, selling books, courses, things like that.
1: But they might sell a success lifestyle, something or other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Usually, I mean, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm... Just biased because I've been in the business so long, you know. In my mind, you can smell it a mile away.
1: Well, because yeah. you see it every that you know what to look for. The layperson yeah. has a lot of dreams and aspirations, and they're and they're kind of on their last dime sometimes. And this is very persuasive to them.
2: Yeah, if somebody's talking about get rich without work, or you know, like listen to my words. I said, you know, realistically, you can do it in ten years. Right. It's not that hard. You could do it in 10 years. I didn't say one year. I didn't say in months. And I didn't say it was no work. Right. You're going to work. Right. But there's principles that you can do that can compound your way to that effect. Um, And there's frameworks that will work, but it's not um, it's not get rich quick. Right. So uh, you got to look at the appeal too of what people are offering. If they're trying to, you know, get your your get rich quick gland salivating, then odds are it's it's not valid.
1: So now um, when you used to do coaching, what was kind of the thinking there? You just wanted to educate more people directly, and then you felt that now you pivoted to more courses and books and things like that to just hit more people more efficiently?
2: Yeah, actually, it was revenue-producing market research, right? So I, my plan was always to build the courses. Um, that's always been my ambition was to basically put Todd's knowledge in a box, if you will, um, and have a scalable business model. Um, but I had to first prove the material out, right? so I had done it in my own life, but it's very different teaching others how to do it, right? So then I started coaching people one on one. I spent two decades coaching people one on one. I got to a point the practice was waiting listed at a very high rate i didn't I just started getting burned out, and I wasn't very good at saying no to people and um I just finally had to shut the whole thing down, and that 's when I you know started building out the courses so the two decades I spent coaching people plus the two decades before that of my own life um or decade and a half of my own life living it was just me working out all the material and figuring out what actually works. The thing about coaching is you know when a client comes back to you every week after taking action, your stuff has to work it 's not like you know you go up in front of a room and you uh speak. And you sound so convincing or you write a book and it sounds so interesting when you're coaching every week, they have to get results every month or they're not going to pay the bill again for another month. Um, So it's uh, just kind of a higher threshold of working out the material. And then all that material I organized into three courses, which I'm going to build out over the next several years. The first one's done, but I still got two more to go.
1: And then what are the topics of those courses?
2: Uh, the one that's done is called Expectancy Wealth Planning, and that's about basically financial planning, but it's financial planning on steroids. It's it's a whole other level. So it builds on top of the shoulders of what financial planning as commonly taught is, adds in the advanced planning framework, adds in the other asset classes, sh- shows you how to connect your skills, resources, uh, abilities, time frame to the correct asset classes and strategies, and then how to convert that into an action plan. Um, that you actually implement on. So that's, that's expectancy wealth planning. And then expectancy investing is probably the course that's most in demand. It was just more complex for me to build out. So I'm doing that one second. I wanted to cut my teeth first on the wealth planning course. Um, So that's expectancy investing that that's uh, basically everything I learned over on the hedge fund side with quantitative investing, but then I've taught it to individual clients. So I've learned how to teach it in a way to individual clients that they get it, it's actionable, and it works for them. Uh, I spent a lot of years figuring that out because uh, there's a lot of wrong ways to do it. And then Expectancy Living is the only course I've never really taught to individual coaching clients. Um, it's basically taking all the same principles but applying it to your life in how you compound the growth of your life just like you compound the growth of your wealth. Um, So that's expectancy living. So it's expectancy living, expectancy investing, and the course that's ready now is expectancy wealth planning.
1: So now is the wealth planning course something that uh, means I can follow along the principles of that and not have like a financial advisor, or is this uh, help me make more informed choice on choosing an advisor?
2: You can go either way. Some people choose to have an advisor. Some people choose not to. Um, It really depends on what path they take. With their assets and their strategies, um, so that it's not a dependency either way.
1: And then, what's your recommendation? Though, is it just an individual choice? No, I always say you
2: should always pay for services that add more value than they cost. So, as long as the advisor is adding more value than the advisor costs you, um, then it's a smart business decision. And if the advisor is taking more value than than that person costs you, um, or then then the person is delivering then it's not a smart relationship. And so that's my criteria. It's not about cutting costs or removing people. It's about paying for value. When you get more value than you pay for, then it's smart. It, it, you move forward with it.
1: And um, is there any kind of red flags when it comes to choosing an advisor?
2: Yeah, um, I don't have nearly as much expertise on that as I do on, you know, in the course business, education business. Um, that one obviously is, is my domain expertise on the advice. Cause I never was a financial advisor. I went straight to the hedge fund level, um, which is considered sort of the top of the food chain. Um, so I was a register. I was the associated person of a registered investment advisor. The firm held the registered investment advisory relationship. And then I was the associated person within it, uh, when I was helping run that fund. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, there are ways, but you're probably better at Saying what those things are than I am. What What would you say?
1: I think that um, you I I think that my experience has been I haven't had a lot of wealth advisors, and uh, I just try to see if they're being honest and consistent. And I try to look for those um, kind of red flags that you mentioned, like how are they making money? Are they disclosing all that? Are they transparent? And um, to be clear on that, because I am with you in that regard that. If they're not telling you the whole story about one thing, they're probably not telling you the whole story about another thing.
2: Yeah. So I have a term for that. I call it the cockroach theory, right? I did this in the middle of a, a lawsuit. I'd sued a, a dishonest property manager that had done really big damage to one of the properties I had out of town. And uh, and I was in front of the attorneys and they're saying, well, he didn't do that much. Look, he only did this, this, and this. And I said, well, let me explain the cockroach theory to you, which is... If a cockroach shows up in your kitchen, only a fool would believe they only have one cockroach, right? The one cockroach is a symptom of a thousand more cockroaches behind your walls. And that's the thing about dishonesty and lack of integrity is if somebody is dishonest or lacks integrity in any one aspect of their life, then they lack it in many aspects of their lives. So I'm with you. The, the thing that um, I would look for would be full disclosure, Um, And I don't mean disclosure of fees just buried in documents that you sign that you will never read. I'm talking about a guy that sits down with you and says, this is how I get paid. Let me show you all the ways I get paid and does it forthrightly. And we'll show you the layers and layers of ways this person can get paid if they choose to. Um, That would be somebody I'd be interested in working in or working with because um, at that point, you've got some integrity and they're not trying to hide something from you because there are a lot of ways for advisors to get paid that you will never see.
1: Now, on your website, you have so much information, so many articles and blog posts and, and free stuff. Um, have you formed a community amongst the people, your readers? Uh, is there like a place where they all hang out and kind of share their own uh, experiences and knowledge?
2: Yeah, that is the course. So I have a forum inside the course, but obviously that's a paid community. But my attitude is, I mean, that takes a lot of my time maintaining that forum and uh, keeping track of everybody and supporting the forum. And so I feel that's only fair. It should be part of the paid community. If people aren't serious enough to take the course, um, first of all, the course is such a game changer from traditional thinking. Um, it's really the next level. And if you don't have that understanding, then you probably really can't participate in the community anyway, because there's a common language, a common reference to lessons and principles that if you haven't taken that course, there's really no point in even trying to participate.
1: And then, so your, uh, website though, most of the stuff is free except to take the course and go into those forums then.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I give away, like you said, there's like over a 1000 pages of uh, free educational content. It's got one of the largest collections of free financial calculators on the internet. Um, and again, there's just a lot of resources on there. And then for people that want to go to the next level, there are books, which is kind of the affordable buy and that's first stuff that's properly formatted for a book, it doesn't fit as an article. And then there's the course you know, which is for people that really want to deep dive and take it to next level and are serious.
1: And then in, uh, in your world, is it something that a person could just read all the stuff and figure out a way to have a successful retirement or do they need to take this course in order to have a successful retirement?
2: Well, yeah, of course they could do it without the course, right? People do it all the time. I did it without the course, but Frankly, it's again, it's a value proposition, like I was saying earlier, Um, looking back over my life, I'm 60. Now I developed all this knowledge over the course of my lifetime. If I could have gotten somebody to hand this knowledge to me on a silver platter at age 25, I would have been way, way better off. And you know, for the price of course, it's I mean, obviously, I'm biased, right, because I sell the course, but it's a no brainer. Um, And you can look at the video testimonials and written testimonials on it. It's it's very clear what impact it's had on people's lives. That's not, it's not made up stuff. You can hear the emotion and what they're sharing and how much it's changed their lives. So um, yeah, you could do it on your own, Um, but you will pay a price either way you do it, right? If you do it on your own, you pay the price of constant redundant knowledge, trying to figure it out, stepping into potholes, all the mistakes you could have avoided. That's one price you pay, but you could do it on your own and avoid the course, or you could do the course and you can avoid a lot of those hassles. So it's really, you know, it's an individual choice, what makes best business sense.
1: Now, is a successful retirement, well, like what's well, a ratio between uh, kind of money and attitude in order to have a successful retirement?
2: I'm not following the question, Lee. What do you mean?
1: Like, do you need to have X number of dollars to have a successful retirement or do you have to have just a mindset shift to have a successful retirement?
2: Oh, oh, I get it. Okay, so actually it's two things, right? Because, yeah, there's a mindset issue to enjoy Uh, the freedom that comes with that life, right? Because a lot of people have trouble with that, surprisingly. That's one whole discussion we can go down. But to answer your question on the financial side of it, um, financial independence is really, it's just a ratio, right? So financial independence is a multiple of whatever you spend. So there's no fixed number, right? So if you spend more, you need more assets to support. If you spend less, you need less assets to support it. And there's a lot of rules of thumb that are actually reasonably useful, surprisingly, because most of that stuff isn't. But there's rules like um, rule of 25, which is the reciprocal of the 4% rule, which is well known in retirement planning. So the rule of 25 is a decent what we'll call North Star that points a direction for what people should head to. It's not accurate by any stretch, but at least it gets people started and gives them a North Star. And the rule of 25, just to explain it, is you need 25 times your first year of spending. Right. So if you're going to spend, you know, $100,000, you need $2.5 million uh, to be financially independent. And so that just comes from the 4% rule, uh, which is well known in retirement planning research. And again, is it accurate? No. Is it close enough that it gets you started without a lot of complication? Yes. Um, and then, you know, my book, How Much Money Do I Need to Retire, goes into a lot more detail for people that want to go into more detail on it. So that's kind of the the math side or the finance side of how much is enough. Um, Did you want to go into like the psychology side?
1: Yeah. I'd like to know a little bit. Well, the, you know, sometimes enough is never enough for some people. (laughs) Um, How, you know, what's the emotional and the uh, lifestyle of, you know, your day-to-day life uh, kind of definition of enough. Maybe if you can reframe it, maybe enough can be more manageable.
2: Yeah. So it's purely a psychological issue, right? Because the math determines what's enough. But what happens is people get to enoughness, and then they don't know what to do with their lives. In other words, if they spent their whole life um, building wealth, orienting themselves to career goals, everything is externally motivated towards external success, and they haven't oriented their thinking in their life towards what actually brings them fulfillment and what they want to do with their lives outside of work and career, And so a lot of this is going to sound nutty to somebody that's really stuck in a job and they're working hard, you know, 50, 60 hours a week and all their time off is spent doing laundry and grocery shopping. The idea that, you know, years of openness, you know, blue ocean of nothing to do, like that sounds pretty darn good from the perspective of being overworked. But after a month or two of being retired, and that's sort of this, you know, people go through the three month honeymoon, the six month honeymoon, the one year honeymoon, depending on the individual after they retire. And then they sort of look out at it and go, well, what's my life stand for? And that's the person that you're talking about that has trouble from the psychological perspective, and so that's one of the things I work with people on in the course as well. Um, and there's free, free material on the site. It's not a pitch for the course. And that is that um, you want to orient yourself towards the next stage of life well before you ever hit it. We are goal-oriented individuals. Um, anybody smart enough to succeed financially is likely a goal-oriented individual. And that's part of what makes them fulfilled. And so you need to work with that and you need to develop that next level of life um, in advance of getting there. Otherwise you'll reach disillusionment and it can be quite disconcerting.
1: Now, do you find that people have difficulty sometimes when their work was their identity and now they're kind of untethered from that and they have to kind of form a new identity or, or, you know, to keep that same status in their mind or their, you know, their own self-worth and value?
2: All the time. All the time. I had a lot of clients who were doctors, attorneys, um, and yeah, they, their self-worth and their identity is completely wrapped up in what their career is and the image they've created around that. And I used to, I used to play with client. like I remember one time I had a very successful attorney client and, you know, he went out and got the latest model Mercedes and I was joking with him, I said, well, you know, how, how stupid was that? And we were going to financial implications of it and all that in, in perspective of his goals and And then I said, so what would happen, you know, why not just get a used Subaru wagon, you know, and, and he just laughed and laughed and laughed like it was so preposterous for, you know, the top level attorney whose name is on the placard representing the firm, right, when it says Smith Jones and Wesson, you know, on the firm, um, you know, he's one of those Smith Jones and Wessons, right, (laughs) on the thing, and it's a hugely successful firm. And he has a labeled Parking spot right in front of the building with his name on it, right? And for him to show up in a used Subaru wagon would be like the, I mean, the employees would think they were going under or something like it would freak out everybody. And it was just this hilarious thing. And I had a doctor one time and I was working with him and he had home in the Hamptons and he had the boat and he had this and he had that. And I mean, he was working six days a week. And I said, well, what happened if you go to part time? And I mean, it just disrupted every part of his being like, you mean not work as hard as I'm working, you know, like enjoy the stuff I've accumulated and enjoy my wealth and maybe sell down to where I have the time to do what I want to do. Like, I mean, it just disoriented every aspect of his life to even think that way.
1: It was not um, consistent with his brand that he created for himself in his mind.
2: Absolutely. He was, he was known as a big wig doctor, always had the cool car, had the, you know, the beautiful home and the expensive vacations and that was his identity and he was known for that, you know? And so for him to sell it off and step it down and reorient his life to what he actually really wanted, because none of that was what he actually wanted. um, That was just the whole thing he created for himself. And it was, it was fascinating to go on that journey with him. He eventually did it. Um,
1: so, so how long does it take for someone to reorient like that? Depends on the person.
2: I've seen people do it pretty quick. Um, like a matter of half a year to a year, um, is about the fastest I've seen. I've seen, uh, I've seen it take 10 years. I've worked with clients where it took 10 years back when I was a coach. Um, so it really depends on the person And if there's something they really want to go to what I found at the real key, and I shared it earlier in this interview, the real key is having something you really want to go to. Um, The people that have the hardest time with it are when they have no concept of life beyond it. But the person that really has something they care about that they really want to do, like their life would be incomplete if they don't do it. Those people have a lot less trouble. They can usually make the transition pretty quickly.
1: So kind of, um, that, that exercise of, uh, you know, people at your funeral and what do you want them to say? If you can get yeah, clear I'll, I'll,
2: on that. Actually, I'll give a different analogy. Yes, you're right. That one, that one, the deathbed exercise, I call it, that's good for helping with this situation. There's another one though, and that is because we've all had the experience, you know, the trauma of breaking up with uh, a, a beloved partner, right? Mm-hmm. And the emotional letdown and what's the best cure for all that trauma is a new partner right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the example. When you break up with that career identity, what's the replacement is what solves it is the next thing you want to move toward that's exciting for you. Um, It's a bit too big of a step to take somebody into a, you know, a cave in Tibet and meditating, you know, eight hours a day to find, you know, their holiness, that that step is a little bit less common. So it's a little easier to move to the next level of life than to jump all the way to the end.
1: But is it, um, don't most people kind of just sleepwalk through life and then the next thing just happens to appear there? It isn't something they intentionally kind of aimed at?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was talking about earlier when I, you know, you're asking what percentage of the people for retirement planning? and, And I was saying, well, more than half don't even have any awareness of it. And that's what you're talking about here when you're talking about sleepwalking is that group that really has no awareness. And they might stumble into, you know, they might sleepwalk their way into a half-baked retirement plan, right, through the company pension. And maybe they were shoveling some money into a 401k, but they never really did the calculations. They never really knew how much. And then, you know, they get 60 and they go, well, gee, I wonder what my social security is going to pay me. And they look at that number and they look at their expenses and they kind of halfway put it together at a point where it's too late to change anything anyway.
1: So are those people, can you help those people or they're just, that's just the way it is. No, the advanced
2: planning framework um, allows you to build wealth with outside of the compound return equation and the traditional framework. So like the traditional framework that everybody understands is that you earn money, right? Usually from a job, you earn money, you pay your expenses, you pay your taxes, and then you save money from what's left. And then you try to grow those savings and compound those savings. That's the framework almost everybody understands. Now, the problem with that is it's a slow process. It usually takes a lifetime to accumulate sufficient wealth. That's why retirement is usually associated with old age financial independence. It usually takes a lifetime. Um, there is another framework, and that is the advanced plan. I called it the advanced plan framework. And that's where you see like 20 something millionaires. Well, how do they accumulate wealth, you know, a lifetime of wealth in the time that most people are trying to decide how to open a new bank account, right? And so there are ways to extract wealth growth from the compound return equation, the limitations of conventional asset growth. Um, But that's like, that's a whole nother framework, a whole nother discussion.
1: But that's part of your formula?
2: It's one piece. I teach all of it. What I do is I give people the entire toolbox and then they can decide what fits them. One of the things that's unique from my teachings, Lee, is I don't have a right wrong position on this. I've worked with enough clients from enough walks of life that what I've learned is that it's not right wrong. It's what fits you. And so the way I teach it is the metaphor of Velcro with the hooks and loops of Velcro, right? You've got to look at your life, your goals, your values, your situation and that creates the hooks on the Velcro so on one side of the Velcro. And then you look at all the asset classes. You look at the two different frameworks. You look at the asset classes and you look at the strategies within the asset classes and you try to find the loops that fit your hooks. And that's how you build a wealth plan that'll actually work for you. But it's like, you know, cause it sticks like Velcro. Um, so I don't have a right wrong, right? For if, if you're a school teacher and you're, you know, 57 years old and you want to be retired at 62 and you've saved very little and you have, you know, you still have a mortgage and you got this and that, then guess what? The only thing that's going to work is the advanced planning framework. Cause there is math limitations on all this stuff. But if you're 25 and you're launching a career and you love your career and you're really excited about the work you're doing and and you don't mind doing your work and saving and compounding, then the traditional framework can work great for you.
1: And then um, for is there any place for um, maybe help from the government? Like if the government put a chunk of money and gave everybody money at their birth and let it compound, would that be kind of a hedge for the people to protect them from themselves and their sleepwalking?
2: I don't know. I would have to see such a plan if and when it existed. There's always a math problem when you have the masses doing any one thing because there's a supply-demand equation with assets, and wealth growth. Um, So if the government implemented a plan where everybody got a thousand dollars at birth and it was invested in the S and P 500 index, eh, we'd have to look at that and see how that works and what the rules are around it. Um, I'll, I'll worry about that the day it exists.
1: But I mean, we're not leveraging compounding. I mean, compounding historically has proven to be a good framework.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. The traditional plan where you're putting compound interest or compound growth to work for you. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic, right? That's, you know, and what I do is I, I try to explain that it, it, the way it really works is expectancy math, right? So most people understand probability, but your compound growth is determined by mathematical expectancy and mathematical expectancy is actually probability times payoff, And that's really important in the financial markets because the financial markets have what's called fat tailed distributions, which means they have very large negative payoffs to the far left tail of the distribution um, on, you know, the payoff distribution. And so, you know, there's, there's something that has to be understood in terms of risk management and different principles about how you tilt the payoff equation to improve the expectancy of your growth pattern. So again, there's nuance to these pieces. There's things to know. So, you know, when you when you tell me, you know, we all get a certain amount at birth, I'd have to look at exactly what the program is um, to have any sense of it. It's
1: uh, just it's just a thought experiment. That's all. Yeah. Well, Todd, if somebody wanted to learn more uh, about your work and uh, get a hold of one of those courses, read one of those books. What's the website?
2: financialmentor.com. So two words, financial and mentor put together, financialmentor.com.
1: Good stuff. Well, Todd, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. All right. Thanks a lot for having me on the show, Lee. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Retirement Tips
0: Radio. Retirement Tips Radio is brought to you by... Business Radio X, the voice of business in your community. Currently serving over 25 markets, the Business Radio X network is growing fast. We're teaming up with retired execs and established entrepreneurs to support and celebrate local business leaders. If you'd like to make additional income while making a difference, discover more at brxteam.com. Oh,